All right, I want you to take your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. Now you're saying, well, we're in the Christmas season, you're going to the Old Testament. I'm going to preach two Christmas messages, uh, the, the, uh, the last two uh, messages of this month uh, will be Christmas ones before, th- uh, before actual Christmas. But I want to dive into a two-part lesson. This was something that uh, I was surprised the Lord wanted me to preach in December, and I thought it would be uh, just a one-week message and it's turned into a two-parter. How many of you know when the preacher gets to like 14 pages, you can't do that in one week? Everyone said amen. I mean, I could keep you here for three hours, but (laughs) there was one do it. Everyone else's thank you. So I began to teach this uh, to the men a couple months ago, actually, and we're calling this here Lessons from Hezekiah, but what I tattled it with the men was Uncommon. Turn to someone and say, God called you to be uncommon. God called you to be different in this world. So 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 5 through 7 says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands of the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Father, thank you for the examples of people in the Word. God, while we're in a season of remembering Joseph and Mary, we're also in a season where your Word reminds us of generations of faithful men and women of God. I thank you in this room that there are many that are part of that generation. Now, Lord, may we decrease and may you increase in Jesus' name. I love to learn from the people that God writes about in the Bible. I love to do studies about their life. I love to look at people. I just enjoy learning about people people in general in the world, people who have accomplished things and done things, but especially the men and women of the Bible. And there's a reason for that. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Many people look in the books of First and Second Chronicles and wonder, why they're there in the Word of God. And there are many reasons, but the one at the top is so that we learn from history. I love to study history. I've loved to study world history. I particularly love American history. You can learn a great deal from it, both what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And history is more than historical facts. It's the story of people how they handled things, either for the good or for the bad. And that story helps us to remember their successes and their mistakes in order that we can learn from them. When I begin to study of Hezekiah, you'll find that he's one of the most amazing kings talked about in the Bible, yet he's also one that we don't talk about a great deal. And it's interesting because He was a godly king who did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord 
And the Bible tells us just as his ancestor David had done. Everybody in the church knows David. We're familiar with David. We love his life. We study his life. We're actually very impressed with who he is from the time he was a child till the time that he died as a king. And we know all the stories of King David, of Solomon. We know them of Saul. But there's much to learn from Hezekiah or Josiah and many of the other kings. King Hezekiah, if you didn't know this, is talked about for 11 chapters in the Bible. 11 chapters. That's significant. 2 Kings 18 through 20, three chapters. 2 Chronicles 29 through 32, that's four chapters. And then Isaiah 36 through 39, that's four chapters. And remember that Isaiah was a prophet during Hezekiah's reign, and they worked together hand in hand. And out of all the kings written about in the Bible, it was this king that was compared to David. That's significant. Remember this. David was known as a man after God's own heart. How many of you would like to have that same testimony? Hezekiah was a king of Judah. And this was after the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and then the kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah's name means God has strengthened. Now listen, all names have meaning. Your name has a meaning. If you look it up, people look up baby names uh, and, and they want to know what does that name mean. Every name is significant. But even beyond that, every name takes on significance throughout its lifetime. It really does. So the name Marvin means friend. It means a loyal friend. But if I were to mention to you, uh, say, like Marvin Gaye, you would think of an absolutely wonderful singer, talented singer. He needed Jesus, but he could sing. If I were to mention Marvin Hamlish, you would think of a wonderful composer. For those of you who love sports, marvelous Marvin Hagler was a great boxer. I want you to understand this. Your name takes on meaning through your lifetime. When we begin to read the people of the Bible, their names had meaning when they were born, but they took on even more meaning as they lived. Because they became either who God called them to be, they either became righteous and holy and pure, and it took on that meaning in their relationship, or they became someone who was wicked. Listen, there are people that stand out from everyone else. In 2 Kings 18, verse 5, it says this, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And then it says this, There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after this time. Hezekiah was an uncommon person. Because the Bible says there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, before or after his time. And when someone gets the attention of God like this, it's worth paying attention to. Uncommon means this, not ordinary, unusual, remarkable, exceptional, not often found, seen, or experienced. Not ordinary. 
abnormal, rare, atypical, unconventional, unfamiliar, strange, odd, curious, extraordinary, outlandish, peculiar, weird. Far and few in between. Uncommon. There are people in this world that are unlike everyone else. And they stand out to God and they stand out to others. In the Bible, God singles out men like David, Elijah, Noah, and Daniel. For the women, it singles out people like Mary and Esther and Sarah and Deborah. In the Bible, it says that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord and that he remained faithful in everything and obeyed the commandments of the Lord. Listen, all of us know other people that are uncommon. You know some uncommon people? They're different than everybody else in a good way. They may be high achievers. You may know them as a great husband or wife, an amazing father or mother, or someone who inspires others to live for God. But among the people of God, being uncommon is a common thing. As a matter of fact, if you get into any church, if you get around people who really have a heart and a love for God, when you get in that building, you'll find out that most of the people are very different. Now, the Bible says that we are a peculiar people, but not so much peculiar in a weird way. We are peculiar in that we are set apart for God. So when I get into church, you meet a lot of uncommon people. They're very different. As a matter of fact, they stick out in the world. If you're living for God, regardless of your position, the place that the, you work or the place that you frequent, wherever you are, when you get there, you will be different than the other people that are there. As a matter of fact, if you're going to live for the Lord in a way that is completely sold out for God, you're going to have to get used to the fact that you're very different than most of the other people in the world. And these people possess characteristics that are normal among those who serve God, but uncommon among the general population of people on a whole, including many times other Christians. And many of these characteristics don't come naturally. They're developed. And these characteristics are timeless, and they're universal among the people of God. As a matter of fact, they become recognized regardless of the culture or the status you have in life. And when I look at many Christians today, they struggle. They struggle with the same things that the people of God have struggled throughout history. They are uncommon by the very fact that they belong to Jesus, but many times they'd rather just want to blend into the culture that's around them. But I want to tell you, there should be something very different about the children of God in this world. And listen, not all of it in a bad way, but in all the best ways, that means living for God comes out of our life. And while this life will seem very different to most people, it will be something that they will either respect and admire, or they will attack because of conviction. And I just want you to know there probably won't be much middle ground. People will either really admire who you are as a believer or it will be something that they reject. 
understand Jesus was like this. Remember, it all came to a head with Jesus. At some point, because he lived the way he did, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he upended things, there came a point where they decided to crucify him. Now, I'm not saying you need to hasten the process. Someone say a good amen. But I pray that like Hezekiah, the uncommonness of the people of God will become such a positive thing that will be able to impact the culture around us. The first thing I notice about Hezekiah, if you're taking notes, is what they mention about him in the Word, is that he trusted God. In 2 Kings 18, verse 5, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And one of the first things that we learn about this man of God is that he trusted him in everything. That's a powerful sentence. He trusted God Period. And I want to ask you a question. Do you trust God? Really? Think about it before you nod your head. Do you trust the Lord? Proverbs 5, or 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. This means that as a believer, what's uncommon, when you talk to people in the world, they don't trust God. As a matter of fact, they're very untrusting of God. Whenever the Lord speaks to them, tells them to step out, their first response is, well, I really don't know. But for the believer who has grown in the Lord, when God tells you to do something or you read what His Word says, you believe what it says and you begin to live it and act on it and it becomes your life. And people, when they ask you questions or they see you living, the response of someone who trusts God is, God said it and so that's why I'm living this way and I do it and they'll have many questions because that's not how they live most people really believe that they're good and faithful they do but the truth is that those who trust God implicitly are uncommon Proverbs 20 verse 6 in the Amplified says many a man proclaims his own loyalty and goodness but who can find a faithful and trustworthy man you see a key word when connected to those who are uncommon, is the word everything. Hezekiah was faithful to the Lord in everything. Can you say everything? This means that there, was an area of, there wasn't an area of his life that was untrustworthy or unfaithful to God. Uncommon people are faithful. They're faithful to their wives and their husbands, to their children, to their job. They're faithful as a friend. They're faithful to the Word of God. What they say and who they are match because those who are faithful have uncommon integrity. It's something that they are inside, and so much so it can't help but, help but happen to show up externally. And I love that. Hezekiah trusted God. The next thing that we notice about Hezekiah is that what made him stand out is that he was willing to repair what the last generation had undone. And he was willing to deal with the issue of idolatry completely. The Bible tells us that Hezekiah's father's name was Ahaz. 
And when you read about Ahaz, it says he was a wicked king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. I want to remind you this morning that just because the example in your upbringing was evil or was less than ideal does not mean that your life has to follow the same path. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise in the plants of God today. It's interesting when you study Ahaz's life, 2 Kings 18, 3-4 says this, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. You notice that God just removed Ahaz from the equation. What he was saying is, I want to remind you that in your lineage, there was a man that served God. There was a man in your position that had my heart. There was a man in your position that had the things that I desired at the very forefront of his life. He wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes. He even sinned. But when he did, he repented and he longed for me. He wanted my presence. He wanted to do exactly what was right. I want to remind you that just because you might have someone in your lineage, maybe even directly right before you that didn't serve God, doesn't mean that that's who you're going to be. 2 Chronicles 29 says, in the very first month of the first year of his reign, he didn't waste any time. Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He summoned the priests and Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. And he said to them, listen to me, you Levites. Purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of our God. They abandoned the Lord and His dwelling place. They turned their backs on Him. They also shut the doors of the temple's entry room. And they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle, and our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. But now I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anchor will turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to Him. And then the Levites got to work. I want to read this to you, Harvest Community Church. The Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence. The Lord has chosen you to minister to Him. The Lord has chosen you to lead the people in worship, and to present offerings to Him. Listen, I want to remind you this morning that Bible says that you are kings and priests unto the Lord Most High. If you believe you are, say a good amen. Listen, God is calling us in this generation to turn back the things that have stopped being done. There are things 
Christians look at America right now and say, we don't even recognize our nation. We see what's going on. We've turned away from God. And we are reaping the consequences of what's gone on. But I want to remind you, just because the generations before us stopped serving God doesn't mean that we're going to. It means we're going to stand in the gap. We're going to stand in the breach. And we're going to declare the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The generation before allowed the temple of God to become nothing more than a warehouse of the unholy. And right from the start, Hezekiah got to work and he cut down the idols of Baal and Azareth. Listen, it took someone to say that's enough. And I'm going to stand up knowing that people aren't going to like it. I know that it's going to make people very uncomfortable. But we're going to get rid of the things that don't belong any longer. And we're going to stand up for the things of God. I love, he did four quick things when he came in. First of all, he cut down the idols. Secondly, he reopened the doors. Listen, I just want to tell you, the doors of the church are open. During COVID, they tried to close them. I don't know if you know, we didn't close them. I just want to tell you, they're telling us that there's another strain going through China and all that, and it may come to America. Harvest Community Church will not be closing our doors. I got somewhat of an applause, but you'll get over it. We'll be here. Hopefully you will too. The Bible says that he also repaired them. There were things that were broken. There were things going on in the house of God that needed to be fixed. One of the things that you're going to find that God is doing within the church of America and through the West is helping to repair the things that had fallen apart that were neglected. People. Worship. Things that needed to be rebuilt. It's interesting because by doing something physical, by actually fixing the doors to the temple, the literal doors. It made a way for people to come back in. There are many people that have walked away from the things of God and they need to know that they can come back, that they can be healed and they can be saved. The next thing that he did was call the people to purity, to be holy, especially those who were priests and kings. See, Hezekiah was even willing to get rid of the things that were once used by God to bring deliverance, but now had become a thing of bondage. It become an idol. Moses' bronze serpent had once been used to bring healing, but now the people worshiped that. And the bronze serpent served its purpose in its time. And I want to remind you that a good gift can become an idol when we forget about the giver. We can make all kinds of things into an idol. And the truth is that the church in America has many sacred cows. What's a sacred cow? It's anything that takes our worship away from God and becomes more important to us than God himself. Israel had a way of reverting back to idols when they stopped focusing on God. Even good things that were once valuable can cause us to serve them instead of serving God. Hezekiah teaches us that those who live right in the sight of God live courageously. Those who are uncommon are people of courage, and they live courageously. 
you can't live courageously if there isn't any resistance. You can't really be courageous if there isn't any fear. You can't be brave if there isn't anything that's coming against you. It takes courage to stand up in a culture and begin to push back and say, these are the ways of God. These are the things of the Lord. It will take courage to stand. Those who are uncommon do not live life weakly. They don't let what they fear keep them from doing or saying what's right. They do what needs to be done because it is right, because it's good. They'll speak the hard truths in a way that provokes others to do the right things. And they will inspire enthusiasm that is contagious. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. But I want to take you, tell you it takes someone who will stand and actually help to stiffen the spines of others because it is an uncommon thing to be someone who stands straight when everyone else is standing back. You will notice what has happened within the body of Christ in America. Everybody's waiting for someone else to do something. They're waiting for someone else to take a stand. They're waiting for someone else to stand out front and say, this is the way it should be done. But I thank God for the Hezekiahs and the body of Christ who will stand out front and say, this is the way of the Lord. I don't know when the church started getting away from that. The people that I grew up with in the church were men and women of great faith. Somewhere along the line, what I've watched throughout the church of America are now we've become like the world. Listen, we just got to stand back. We don't offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. We just need to really kind of be calm or we're going to make a stir. Hezekiah was not concerned about causing a stir. He was concerned about honoring God and doing what's right. And may that be the church once again. If you want that, give the Lord praise in the house of God. I love verse 12. It says, Then the Levites got right to work. The Levites got right to work. I want to challenge us in the church today. Purify yourself. Remove the defiled things from your life and the life of the church. And don't neglect your duties. Stand in the presence of the Lord. Minister to Him. Teach people to worship. Make disciples. In these uncertain and ungodly times, the world needs more people like this. People who are willing to stand for what's right, stand for what is good, and stand for the good of others. Those that are brave and courageous, those who understand their mood will be contagious. It will either encourage others to be uncommon or cause them to shrink back in fear. They actually call others to be uncommon with them. And it will either encourage other people to become that, but you also must understand the other side of that coin. There will be people that will look at you and go, I don't want to be that because I think you're weird. I think you're an oddball. I think you're different than everybody else. I think you're too intense. I think that you're too holy. You're just too righteous. You're just too... Listen, turn to someone and say, there ain't no such thing. Go ahead, tell them right now. I just want to tell you, you're going to have to know that. 
Hezekiah teaches us, if you're taking notes, that a revival is needed when even the priests aren't fit to worship God at the appointed times. 2 Chronicles 32 and 3 says, For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because the sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. Hey. <laughs> Passover was the most significant celebration because it celebrated the Lord's deliverance. Once you forget Passover, you need to purify yourself again. I want to say that again. Once you forget Passover, you have to purify yourself again. Why? Because if you forget what Jesus did for you, you'll slip back into the old life. And when you slip back into the old life, you'll need to be clean again. For the Christian, Jesus is our Passover. He's forgiven us from our sins and delivered us out of sin and death. How many of you are glad you've been forgiven of your sins? How many of you are glad that you have eternal life? How many of you are thankful that even if you die, you'll be in heaven forever? Listen, Greg and Dale, I want to tell you the one thing that I'm thankful as we remember your daughter. She's in heaven. Set free from sin. We have a hope. The world doesn't have. You and I need to remember what Jesus has saved us out of. I don't know if you know, he saved you out of the world. Saved you out of sin. That means you're no longer like the world. You're to be like Jesus. The Christian equivalent of remembering our Passover is communion. That's why we do it often here. And the constant remembrance of God's faithfulness helps to keep us faithful to God. And I want to remind you that timing in the Bible is just as important as the event. My wife and I, Dawn is very, very specific about, she loves birthdays. And she believes a birthday should be celebrated on the birthday. There's a lot of people who decide, well, you know, we don't have time for that. We'll schedule it for a weekend that we can fit it in. Well, that makes you feel special. Happy birthday. You fit in there. Nice. There are times when we've been in the middle of a lot of things, even with our children. Don guarded their birthdays. Every single time. On the day, we will celebrate your birthday. There are several times the birthdays fell on a Wednesday. I don't know if you know, but we're pretty busy on Wednesdays. Sometimes the birthdays fell on Sunday. But we celebrated them. Listen to God, the day matters The timing matters as much as the event. But because the priests and people could not be ready on time, Mm -hmm. they made a decision to do it a month later. Whenever you're away from God, the time for renewal is sooner 
rather than later. In 2 Chronicles 30, it says this, This plan for keeping the Passover seemed right to the king and all the people. So they sent out a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north, inviting everyone to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people had not been celebrating it in great numbers as required in the law. At the king's command, runners were sent throughout Israel and Judah. They carried letters that said, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just any Lord, because remember, Baal is actually Lord. Return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that he will return to the few of us who have survived the conquest of the Assyrian kings. Do not be like your ancestors and relatives who abandoned the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and become an object of derision as you yourselves can see. Do not be stubborn as they were, but submit yourselves to the Lord. Come to this temple, which he has set apart as holy forever. Worship the Lord your God, so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord... Your relatives and your children will be treated mercifully by their captors and they will be able to return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. If you return to him, he will not continue to turn his face from you. Listen, many people are confused understanding what revival and renewal is all about. Revival and renewal are needed when people need to return to the Lord. It's a call out of sin. It's a call out of stubbornness. It's a call to return to the ways of God. It's reminding people that what they're doing is not working. And instead of doubling down on what is not working, humble yourself and return to God. If you're taking notes, I want you to put this down. Revival and renewal are a return to holiness, not a commitment to intensity. Can I say that again? Revival and renewal are a return to holiness, not a commitment to intensity. Most of what we call revival today is a season of intense worship that can't be sustained over time. True revival is a return to holiness. And that holiness actually results in rejoicing that can be sustained all the time. The American Pentecostal Church constantly wants to see this next move of God that will keep us excited. But then we flame up, and then we flame out. I remember when I was first in ministry school, one of the pastors that was pouring my life said, to us. He came into our class and he said, revival is something you can live in all the time. You can't be intense all the time, but you can be holy all the time. You can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit all the time. You can walk in the might of the Lord all the time. You can trust him 
all the time. Regardless of how things feel, regardless of how things work, he said the church was meant to be revival. We're going to talk as we get to Pentecost Sunday, we're going to talk about how the power of the Holy Spirit, he came and indwelled us. How many of you are filled with the Holy Ghost this morning? You've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. And if you do, that means the fires are always alive inside of you. The Bible says the Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. That means that the fire is lit. Turn to someone and say, you're lit. Go ahead, let them know. You're lit. You are fire. You are light in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, in the world, being lit means you're drunk and you're on drugs. It means something totally new in the house of God. Come on. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. The call to renew and revival is a call that reminds us how we are now how we are now will affect our families, our children, and our grandchildren. And I want to remind you that what we do in our walk with God and our worship of God will affect those who follow us. You know, want to know what's missing in many of the churches of America? Our children and grandchildren. around this room. The Church of America is trying to figure out where are the kids. Maybe if we put more lights in the sanctuary. Have some smoke and louder music. Some of that can attract... Man, I feel this heavy. I wouldn't even go in there. My heart breaks for the generations behind us. And I want to remind you that what we do in our walk with God and our worship of God will affect those who follow us. Every generation has the tendency to get now focused. We need to look beyond ourselves and we need to plan for how our walk with God will influence and infect the next generation. We'll either be like those who have abandoned God, or we will choose to follow after God with all that we are. What's your choice? Listen, Hezekiah's boldness ushered in an entirely new era of revival. It took someone who would stand up and say, we're done living like that. We want the presence of God. We need him more than we need everything. Where does it start with us? Where does it start with believers who want Jesus more than anything? When God said, I want you to preach on Hezekiah in December, I went, really? It's not real Christmassy. He said it's more Christmassy than you know because Jesus came and gave his life so that we'd be free from sin and death, so that the children would be saved, so that our grandchildren would be saved. We need revival. 
We need the presence of God. My prayer is that as we go through the rest of this year, God will do something so insignificant during this month of December in every one of us. I want to see one more child away from God. I don't want to see one more grandchild away from the Lord. Jesus would live in such a way that they know you're different. Your kids should know you're different. We serve Jesus. Not just because you're weird. I mean, everybody who's, listen, all kids think their parents are weird. And then all kids think, all grandkids think their grandparents are like awesome until they reach teenage and they think we're all weird again. But I pray that they'll know we're uncommon. That we're living for the Lord. I want you to stand with me in this church across this room and I'm going to ask you this morning how many of you want to see the next generation impacted by the things of God? How many of you would say, I am committed to being uncommon in this day and age? Sherry begins to play that, whatever you're going to play. I'd like to invite you to this altar. Everyone in this church would say, Lord, I want to be a Hezekiah in this generation. I want to see our children and our grandchildren coming back to the house of God. I want you to work in my life. If you're saying, I'll be uncommon, I'll take that stand. I want to be that person. Would you come to the altar this morning? If we can, as a church, fill this place, starting in this first Advent, his coming, celebrating the coming of Jesus, and I'm committed to being that man or woman for God in this generation that will serve him, that person that will serve Jesus. I don't know if we could have the keyboard. It doesn't sound like it's working yet. You guys can keep coming. Come on. It's like you all think someone else got like cooties in front of you. Come on. There's like an uncertain walk and there's a certain walk. Come on. So here's what I want to instruct us to do this morning. First of all, priest, king, sin in your life, it's time to repent now. Attitudes, things that you know in your life, we're going to do that this morning. I repent of those things. Not only did he cut down the idols, he called each one to purify themselves. There's a corporate thing that says we're done with that, but then there's a personal thing that says I want him more than anything. I want to be obedient to him in everything. I want to ask you right now, because if you is there an area of your life that you're not being obedient to God in? And you will know it. You will know it. You won't have to think about it. If you're not being obedient, you will know it. Because you've been disobedient. Disobedience is purposeful. God said and you don't. Father, this morning, right now, we repent of our sin. If that sin, as I say this prayer, agree with me. Lord, whatever that sin is, that hidden thing, that area of our life that is unsurrendered to you, we repent of that right now in Jesus' name. 
Lord, we purify ourselves and we set ourselves apart for you. Lord, individually in this place, I thank you that you're dealing with our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, that as we repent, you forgive. And we receive that forgiveness right now. Oh, the Lord just told me there are some of you that have been suffering internally. You have been so uncomfortable with your life like something's wrong and you couldn't figure out what it was, but you know what it is. It's that sin. And you're being set free from that right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you break the chains of sin. You break the things that bind us. And Lord, I thank you right now that out of the cleanness and the purity will come the very life of Jesus and the healing power of God. I thank you that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So whatever that struggle is, I thank you that you're breaking it. For that one that's just had an attitude about being obedient, then that one area, that one thing, and they've given themselves permission, Lord, we repent of that in Jesus' name. And Lord, today we come with willing obedience and a joyful heart. Father, we also pray right now for the next generation. Lord God, as parents and grandparents, we stand here in this church not as consumers and attenders. We stand here as family. We stand as people that are pillars of our community. And we say, Lord, bring our children back. Lord, bring our grandkids back. I pray that God, within the churches of Palm Beach County, we want this in America, but I pray that here we would begin to see revival as you begin to bring in our children and grandchildren. Lord, whether our children are in their 50s or whether they are just in their young years, I pray that God, you'd bring them back. I pray that you'd bring our grandchildren back in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that they'd see our example and that example in the family would be something that draws them to the heart of God. I pray that we have the conversations of faith. I pray that we begin to pray over them when they're hurting and they'd see the fire and goodness of God come and bring life to their situations. We pray that God protect them from the pool of the world and from the way the enemy is trying to drag them out of the kingdom of heaven and away from our homes. We take authority over that in the name of Jesus. And we say, devil, you can't have the next generation. You can't have our kids. You can't have our grandkids. You can't have the next generation of America. I pray that God, there'd be such a move of your Holy Spirit start with us. Lord, we're having this time here at Harvest, right here at the altar. Start with us. I pray that God would be less about intensity and more about relationship with you. I thank you that just as Hezekiah saw things turn around, so will we. Lord, you've been doing great things in this church. By all metrics, this church is doing well. We're seeing people saved. We're seeing people healed. We're growing. We're becoming disciples. But God, the metric we want to see, holiness from us, and the power affecting our community. I pray that God, something so unique, 
would take place in each of us, that you would be glorified. Would you just lift your hands and say, Holy Spirit, have your way this season. Holy Spirit, come and move in this place. We pray there just be a renewal and a revival in this church during the Christmas season. Lord, we pray that as we step into 2024, we'd see you move in ways that we've only dreamed of and that you have promised we would see. Thank you, God, that the sick will be healed. Thank you, Lord, that those that are lost will be saved. Thank you that those in bondage will be delivered. Thank you, Lord, that demons will run and that the Holy Spirit will be present in ever-increasing ways. And Lord, let all of that be surrounded by the love of God. I pray that what people would sense along with the power in your presence is love. Help us to love one another deeper. Help us to care for one another sweeter. And may it bring incredible peace. Thank you for what you've done here this morning. We give you glory and we bless you and we worship you. We thank you for what you will do through the remainder of this month and in the next year. May you be glorified in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. If you believe he's good, just give the Lord a shout just one more time this morning. He's faithful. Listen, I love you. I wish you a Merry Christmas. Greg, I actually finished before 1130. I know, revival can be short. The Lord bless you. Have a marvelous week. We'll see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. God bless you all.